Hey there, if you're listening to this and you support us on Patreon, you can hear it via the Patreon page ad free. One, two, three, cuatro. listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we'll be talking with author Sam Weller about why we love songs about ghosts. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, Jim and I have some ghostly tracks we need to share. You know, Greg, we all know, uh, anybody who's listened to this show for any length of time, that uh, Halloween is your favorite holiday uh, (laughs) of the year. Uh, It's high on my list as well. Uh, We've done a lot of Halloween shows. We've run through all sorts of songs, most horrifying, songs about monsters, uh, songs about witches, I think we did, right? Mm -hmm. Right? And then I was thinking, you know, what are we going to do? Hey, we've never done ghosts. I can't ghosts, believe ghosts we shorted ghosts all this time. You know, I think of uh, Charlie Brown putting the sheet over his head. I think <laughs> of uh, Casper, the friendly ghost. We've never done songs about ghosts. We're going to share a bunch of our picks for your Halloween uh, playlist. And we've got uh, Sam Weller uh, adding some picks as well. But uh, I'm going to start off with a classic Rocky Erickson track from back in 1981, The Evil One. Uh, The late, great Rocky Erickson of the 13th Floor Elevators and a fantastic solo career uh, was, of course, obsessed with horror movies. Um, Given his trepidatious state of mind, many people said he lived in a horror Mm -hmm. movie. Um, You never doubted when he was singing with that fantastic voice that he was seeing the Mm. things he was talking about. And Rocky said it quite simply, a theme for this entire show. If you have ghosts, Mr. Cod, then you have everything. (laughs) (laughs) And he wanted to make it clear in this song. It's one of those great Rocky songs. There's only about five or six lines of lyric that repeat, and the melody uh, drives the entire song. Wine never does that. So don't be telling me uh, I'm too in my cups, and that's why I'm seeing ghosts. Mm -hmm. Uh, These ghosts are my friends. (laughs) And if you have ghosts, you have everything. Rocky Erickson. You have ghosts. Rocky Erickson, if you have ghosts, then you have everything. I also love the John Wesley Harding cover of this on that Rocky tribute album. Yeah, that's great stuff. And, uh, you know, you're right about Rocky. He had a he had a very uh, interesting relationship, shall we say, with the uh, <laughs> afterworld, the yes. other world. Yes. Uh, you know, sometimes living in those places instead of uh, in, in reality. And his music was all the more amazing because of it. Uh, Ian Curtis of Joy Division did not have a friendly relationship with ghosts. In fact, uh, you know, you talk about a guy being haunted. Uh, he wrote many songs that dealt with mysteries of life and, and how uh, he couldn't fathom they, how they were affecting him. He, he met it head on in the song called Dead Souls, which to me amazes me. It came out in 79 uh, and was a B-side. 
in retrospect, I think it's one of Joy Division's greatest songs. Mm. Uh, it was recorded and uh, released uh, less than a year before uh, Ian Curtis took his own life uh, on the eve of a Joy Division American tour. Now, everybody likes to look back and parse Joy Division lyrics for Ian presaging his death. Yeah. Uh, and this song lends itself to that sort of, uh, you know, uh, scrutiny. Uh, someone take these dreams away They point that point me to another day, a duel of personalities that stretch all true realities. Here's a guy who's haunted by something in his life, and that chorus, they keep calling me. And, you know, you mentioned my uh, love for Halloween. We... I have a little soundtrack going when the kids come up and, you know, try to scare the crap out of them while they're yeah. <laughs> looking, well, hunting he, for candy. Your front uh, yard is like, you know, yeah. Halloween, uh, Halloween world. Oh yeah. It's uh, yeah, exactly. Pass by my house. You know which one it is. That's the Halloween house. Of course, our whole block does it up really well, but anyway, they keep calling me and uh, a haunting song by joy division and Ian Curtis from 1979 on sound. Of Ian Curtis, Haunted by Ghosts on Dead Souls, a B-side that uh, stands up with the greatest works of Joy Division. Jim, what do you got next for us? I'm going to the Psychedelic Furs, uh, Greg. You know, I love this band, and and uh, we, we've only played them rarely. Uh, we should do an album dissection or something at some point. Um, Mirror Moves, their 1984 release, is not my favorite. It's when they're really starting to get synth poppy, moving away from the uh, European sun, velvet underground origin of the first couple of albums. But uh, Richard Butler's voice is always fantastic, and this band had an unerring way with a hook. I'm going to play The Ghost in You. Um, Our chat with Professor Sam Weller later, uh, what do ghosts mean in literature and in lyric? Um, uh, You know, often... It is something we are carrying inside of us, and nothing is heavier to carry than lost loves, uh, past loves, um, uh, you know, loves that did not go right, you know, uh, falling over you, uh, angels fall like rain, and love is all of heaven away, the ghost in you, she don't fade. Uh, Yeah, I can relate to that. Mm. I've got some ghosts in that manner. Psychedelic Furs, The Ghost in You. Love the psychedelic first. Yeah, I uh, I think their first album is their best. That's it the is one. fantastic. Yeah. I, I'd go with the first three being yeah, pretty. They're great. all pretty good. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go. To, I'm sticking in that same general area, uh, Jim. Uh, 1977, a few years before the psychedelic furs, obviously, but um, one of the original punk bands. In fact, one of the bands that used started using punk 
as one of their marketing slogans Proudly. in a perverse yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they embraced it. Uh, not a traditional punk band by any stretch in that uh, they uh, were basically a Farfisa organ and a vocalist, and then a Farfisa became a synth, and then they started using crude drum machines. But it was a very stripped-down electronic sound, presaging post-punk and industrial and, and, and dance music uh, of future generations with their uh, early records, which were widely misunderstood. But I think uh, truly amazing pieces of work that uh, stand the test of time, to use a phrase. Mm. It's been overused for many, many, in many instances, but in this case, very appropriate. Um, they loved the whole idea of horror and the whole notion of those Ghost Rider uh, Marvel comic book characters. <laughs> yeah. They uh, the embraced that skull, yeah. yeah, they did. So the Ghost Rider uh, comic book issue titled Satan Suicide provided the name of the band hmm. and the song Ghost Rider on their uh, self-titled debut album from 1977 is one of their signature tracks. It was not a hit, so to speak, in its day. But it has since been covered by uh, by countless uh, punk bands. Mm. Uh, embraced as one of the great songs from that era. Martin Rev and Alan Vega, man, what a what a combination. Alan Vega's vo- vocals, you know, you never got a straight vocal from Alan Vega. He was either like this mumbly whisper that sounded like it was coming from another dimension to this just blood curdling scream. Mm. So you talk about a soundtrack for Halloween. Suicide will provide one. Here they are with Ghost Rider on Sound Opinions. Ghost Rider, uh, Haunting Our Dream, Suicide is the name of the band on Sound Opinions. You know, we have to have a discussion sometime, because I never appreciated Suicide. Well, they I, were a terrifying band live, too. Yeah, I saw Some them the late in their career, and, and I'd heard that, and I just thought they were boring. Yeah? But it was they were on the way out already, <laughs> you know, someday. It might, maybe that tainted me. Um, sticking with Ghost Riders, Greg, all right, you know, you're sitting, you're brainstorming, you're thinking, i got to come up with songs about ghosts. And obviously, Ghost Riders in the Sky is uh, one of the most obvious and classic. I'm going to try not to be uh, quite so obvious. Johnny Cash covered it in 1979 on the album Silver. Now, first of all, anything Johnny Cash sings sounds like Halloween. <laughs> you know? mm. Johnny Cash, another it's man, pretty dark, yeah. I believe, uh, familiar with seeing ghosts in his life. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, this is one of those songs that is right on the cusp between absurd and ridiculous and brilliant. You know, those opening lines, an old cowboy went riding out one dark and windy day. Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way, when all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he mm. saw. Uh, you know, ghost riders in the sky. I love it. red-eyed cows. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't sound so frightening, but there's something about this song that 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 is in a melodramatic Halloweeny way. Yeah, especially sung by Johnny Cash. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, it, I I've loved this song forever. You know, but the, the Cash version is probably the definitive one. Yeah, yeah, I, and it's still cheesy. True, but you know, you cheesy know. Johnny Cash. I mean, it's, it's but, yeah, not a, not a bad thing. No, I know. We, we could debate some of the Rick Rubin, but this is long before that. 
Johnny Cash, Ghost Riders in the Sky. A bolt of fear went through him as they thundered through the sky. For he saw the riders coming hard, and he heard their mournful cry. Yippee-yi-yo, Mr. Cod. Yippee-yi-yay. I know. Cheesy or not, I still love that song. I don't know. Something about it gets to me. Um, speaking of Johnny Cash, uh, he does a terrific version of the song I want to play it next, as have many artists. Uh, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seas did a terrific version of it. The band, Joan Baez, Cherry Garcia, Mike Nessa, Social Distortion. Hmm. Everybody's covered this song, it seems like. It's such it's an iconic song, Long Black Veil. Originally a country ballad sung by Lefty Frizzell in 1959. It is a song told from the point of view of a man falsely accused of murder and executed for said murder. Mm. He had an alibi. He was with his best friend's wife that night, but he refused to mention that as an alibi because he knew that he would essentially destroy her life and his best friend's life. So rather than expose this this um, this sin, quote unquote, that he was committing, he uh, he took it to to his grave. Wow! And he's singing from the grave. It's an unbelievably chilling song when you hear it. And uh, I think the best version, for my mind, this is going to be kind of it's going to upset some people. But this artist named Carolyn Herring did a version of Long Black Veil that has stuck with me ever since I heard it. She now, recorded it. I have no it. idea who Caroline well, Herring is. And I'll tell you how I know about her. This is from her 2009 album, but a decade earlier, I'd seen her at South by Southwest. Okay. She just put her first album out, and she uh, she did a showcase at South by uh, in the early 2000s, I believe. And uh, I just thought it was incredible. And what I loved about it was the simplicity of the performance. It's very stripped down. She never oversang any of the lyrics. It was just straightforward the beauty of that voice, the, the starkness of those lyrics and the arrangements uh, just really haunted me. You talk about being haunted by a song. Uh, this is that song. Uh, Long Black Veil, Carolyn Herring, Unsound Opinions. I had been in the arms of my best friend's Carolyn Herring with Long Black Veil, and if you want to hear that the song in its entirety, check out our playlist at the soundopinions.org website. All of our ghost songs. All of our ghost songs, yeah, not just this one, but I'm going to advocate for this one. Hear it <laughs> and go for it. So tell us what your favorite ghost song is. Let us know in our Facebook group or on our Patreon community. Leave us a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org, as well. Coming up, we're going to share more songs about ghosts and talk with author Sam Weller about what makes a good ghost story. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. Nobody treated him nice. We're back, and now we're going to take a minute to talk about ghost songs and the meaning behind them. 
All right, we are thrilled to have a guest here, Greg, to add some uh, ghost songs of his own. And he is an expert, I would say, <laughs> on ghost stories, scary stories, horror literature. My friend Sam Weller, uh, we are both uh, associate professors at Columbia College Chicago in the English and Creative Writing Department. Um, Sam was Ray Bradbury's biographer. Yeah. Put That's together awesome. a couple of great Bradbury collections. Um, and uh, last year, in the midst of the plague, <laughs> Dark Black, um, uh, a collection of gothic short story, horror story, ghost stories, right? Yeah, yeah. We figured, who else are we going to turn to oh, for man. some insight into Because you're also a music fan. Oh, big time, yeah. So, so, so yeah. philosophically, Professor, before <laughs> we get into your ghost song picks... Um, that intersection between scary music and scary literature or scary storytelling, scary movies, what, what are your thoughts about that? Wow. You know, before we get, as you said, before we get into our, our, our songs that we're talking about today, both of the songs that I've selected have literary references within them. One is yeah. very obvious. The intersection to me is, is fabulous. You know, horror literature ghost stories have often kind of been maligned as this subgenre, this mm -hmm. pulpy arena uh, for sort of cheap storytelling. But we're seeing today in the landscape of contemporary literature, writers all across the field, you know, National Book Award nominated yeah. writers writing supernatural or ghost yeah. stories or stories that are hybridic in nature with elements of the supernatural infused and in many them. of them uh, with musical connections. You're, you're pals with Neil Gaiman, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of crossroads between, I think, music and the supernatural. I think particularly in the genre that, that, that I kind of grew up on, rock and roll and punk, mm -hmm. um, metal, hard rock, a lot of those people are horror fans. I mean, I think yeah. there's some synergy yeah. between there Eddie There is no metal Iron... without horror. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, Eddie of Iron Maiden doesn't exist, right? Yeah, yeah, without, yeah, yeah. Without, without Right. Without horror. Yeah, well, Black Sabbath, the first uh, right. metal album, like a lot of people say, was, begins, you know, what is this that stands before Those me? Those healing bells. I can't I understand. Yeah. Or Jimmy Page's obsession with the occult. Yeah, oh, sure. Aleister Crowley. Yeah, yeah. Aleister. Well, all right, so as uh, Ray Bradbury's uh, biographer, we'd be remiss. You've got some Ray and music stories. Oh, I have plenty of them, yeah. You know, so a lot of people don't realize one of the very famous Bradbury stories, uh, Rocket Man, was, mm. which was included in his 1951 short story collection, The Illustrated Man, was adapted by Bernie Taupin and Elton John. Right, they right, turned right. that into the song Rocket Man. They were inspired. And it's really, they just very much transposed the short story about an intergalactic tr truck driver, basically, mm -hmm. uh, and the loneliness of that life and leaving a wife and children behind. Yeah. Uh, and they were so inspired by that short story from The Illustrated Man that they turned it into, you know, one, a, a, number song, one, yeah. a number one hit. David Bowie was a big Bradbury fan, and there was an interesting encounter, which I find to be telling in, in so many ways. Ray's had four daughters, and his youngest was a tremendous Bowie fan in the early 70s, and mm. said, David Bowie's playing Los Angeles. Could you pull your celebrity card and get me backstage? <laughs> he hated that. Mm. You know, He liked being recognized by fans. He loved signing books. Yeah. He didn't like the trappings of celebrity. 
Um, and so he never pulled that card, mm. you know, like get me f- into a restaurant on yeah. Ray Bradbury. That wasn't his style. And so when his youngest, the baby of the family says, I want to go to see David Bowie, it's sold out. Can you get us in? He called, uh, got a hold of management and they said, not only can we get you in, but Mr. Bowie would like to meet you, Mr. Mm. Bradbury. Mm. So they met and had dinner in LA. Um, <laughs> the year eludes me. It's sometime yeah. in the early to mid seventies range. You spent hours and hours and hours with Ray hanging yep. out. Yep. Did, did he know who Bowie was? He, he did because of his, his children. Right, you know, just, I think if we talk case. about his own musical leanings, they were much more swing, big band era. Yeah. There was always an element of horror in, in Bradbury's science fiction, which uh, isn't there for like Asimov or Arthur no. C. Clarke. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that that, I mean, Bradbury always told me that his, his true papa was Edgar Allan Poe. So I think that sense of the yeah. the gothic and the yeah. horrific yeah. hails and comes from from his love of Poe. He had a, a snarl to his storytelling. Mm-hmm. They were human stories. Yeah. They were they had heart, mm. but yet they were vicious. So you you have chosen two ghost songs. Tell us about the first. Yeah, and I figured you know as we talked about this that this one might be a little obvious, and maybe you guys would have already selected. Uh, Weathering Heights by Kate Bush uh, from 1978. How can we not gravitate towards the the windy moors of the Midlands yeah, yeah, of yeah, England? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's almost like Conan Doyle and the Hound of the Baskervilles, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what Kate Bush did, in my understanding of that, you know, is is it's t- that her song is told from a different point of view than the book mm. by Emily Bronte. Uh, the 1847 novel. It's a different point of view, and it's mm-hmm. almost, uh, it's a ghost story, mm-hmm. right? And it's also a story of feminism and empowerment wrapped in sort of the ectoplasm of the supernatural. Yeah. You know? yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty dang, dang yeah. cool. Yeah, there's, there's a, you know, that touch of gothic and then so much more to Kate Bush. Yeah, and even the sort of lace-like fragility to her voice is almost mm-hmm. wraith-like or banshee-like. You know what <laughs> yeah. I no, mean? No, it does. It, she does sort of sound ghostly in a lot of that early material, especially that voice. The tone of her voice is so unique, um, and and it is otherworldly. There's the only way to describe it. And like people are really love it or they loathe it. They just don't get it. But you know, if you're into Kate's world and she creates a whole universe in in one in that song. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's like the merger of progressive music, goth, that you know, Celtic that Isles, whole you know, folk music, post pre, you know, an iteration of feminism yeah. that's like writ large at a time when it wasn't particularly you know uh, chic. And um, yeah, she's amazing. And I think that song, it absolutely is one of her landmarks. I mean, you hit on that song right away, uh, you know, as as a choice. When did you first hear it, and what was your Response, you know, obviously, you know, I heard it when I was younger, but I think my first introduction to it, oddly enough, was Pat Benatar's cover of it. Oh, really? That probably was the first place I heard that song. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I grew up, of course, reading Bradbury and loving his gothic stories. I mean, I, I just love the accoutrements of the gothic genre, the, the haunted loneliness, the yeah. despair, the suspense, the, at, the sense of atmosphere is just 
massive. And then the ghosts. And so <laughs> yeah. that all of that. So I think I gravitated towards that song early on because of its gothic accoutrements. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, I've been married now for 21 years and my, my wife loves Kate Bush. So uh-huh. when, when it's her, you know, when she's playing DJ in the house, she'll put Kate Bush on and inevitably that song will come back yeah, on. And it, right. you never tire of it. Yeah. Lyrically, the, the, the instrumentation, the production. And you're right. I think there's a tiny Tim quality to her vocal delivery on that mm-hmm. that could be grating to yeah, some. Right. I absolutely think it's appropriate for that song. I yeah, no, it. It, it fits the subject matter for sure. Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush. Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush. Just just uh, underscore, Professor. Who is the ghost? The ghost is this forlorn, lovesick uh, Kathy in the novel. Mm. And she is pining for Heathcliff at his window. <laughs> and, and it's the ghost tapping upon the window. I'm back in sophomore high school English class. This is so great. Yeah. All right, that was a, a fantastic pick. Uh, you've got another one. I would say there's probably no band Sam Weller loves more than the Wild Hearts. That's the truth. I mean, I would say the Wild Hearts are, you know, in my top five. You know, I, I have only seen them once because they're from the UK and, yeah. and they don't tour here very often. They don't have a label here. Uh, I saw them at the Vic Theater in, I think, 03, open for the darkness. And I looked up in the balcony and who was up there but the, the one and only Greg Cott. Oh. And I'm down jostling in this sweaty pit, yeah. uh, you know, for a vantage point of yeah. Ginger Wildheart. And there's Greg just kind of uh, up in that, that lofty perch. And I was a bit envious of that well, it's, lofty It's hard perch. to take notes in the pit. I yeah. used to think it was elitist. I to tried sit a in few times. Press it's not, it no, me work. too. The third time somebody spilled a beer on my notebook, well, I said, yeah. I'm going to sit in the press. I seat. lost contact lenses in the pit. After that, uh, you're kind of going, okay, <laughs> probably not the right place. We were for working, right now. Sam. Yeah. It was not. Uh... All right, all right. So, but you're going to go deep. Ginger Wildheart is the legendary leader. He is to the Wildhearts what Lemmy was to Motorhead. Yes, okay? very much. So. Uh, but you're not. You're not playing a Ginger song. No, I'm not. You know, and so because of my Wildheart fandom, I'm very into all the sorted and various spinoffs associated with the Wildhearts. And they've, you know, like any great band that's been around for a long time have many, many members in the family tree. (laughs) Um, And uh, Scott Sari, who was the bass player for uh, a U.S. punk band in the early 2000s, Amen, Mm. went on to play bass for the Wild Hearts between 2006 and 2009. Mm. And his music is much more um, kind of Mike Nessian, Johnny Cashian, punk rock, three mm. chord, a little bit fused with a little bit of Americana, just a tinge. Mm-hmm. He's very influenced by Bob Mould and Sugar. Okay. Not so much of the metal patina that the Wild Hearts bring to their punk rock mm-hmm. or that sort of big arena sound. Yeah. Scott is much more of a raw, uh, anguished punk rocker. Um, and we have corresponded over time. And he has a brand new song coming out this week um, that really embodies what it is that I love about ghost stories. Mm. And I love ghost stories that address the notion that you don't need a ghost to be haunted Mm. in a story. 
that we as human beings are all haunted by our addictions, by our, our faults, by our hatreds, by our flaws, mm. by our failures. We're all haunted by something, mm. by grief. And he was diagnosed three years ago with gliboblastoma, which is a, uh, a horrible cancer diagnosis. It's the same cancer that took Neil Peart's mm. life from yeah. Rush. Uh, when you're given this diagnosis, it's a pretty grim diagnosis. Mm. And with young children, he, he said, I, I, you know, and a wife, uh, no, and changed his lifestyle completely. He had his brain surgery right around Christmas three years ago. He was told he wouldn't come out of it. He'd come out of it a vegetable. Mm. Came out wow. completely coherent. Wow. Completely clear. A medical miracle. Mm. And three years on, he is cancer-free. Still making wow. music. Still making music. Uh, and so this song is coming out as, as a seven-inch. And it really addresses his cancer diagnosis. Mm. And his sort of bottoming out of feeling haunted by the cancer diagnosis his fear, um, his, his mortality, uh, what's he going to do with his wife and kids and coming mm. to terms with all of it. Mm -hmm. This is so heavy. It is. This <laughs> is heavy. But it's Halloween. This is Black Dog Dancers by Scott Sari, formerly of the Wild Earth. Black Dog Dancers from Scott Sorry, ex of the Wild Hearts, a great band, Sam Weller. Uh, not ex of uh, Columbia College, he's an associate professor there. Not yet. He's also an expert on uh, ghost stories and horror, uh, horror literature. And, uh, you know, the, the whole idea, I love the idea of a ghost as sort of a stand-in for the psychodrama in your head. Yeah. You know, that's a yeah. great way of thinking about it. And really, you, Professor, could probably address this better than I. Is that really what we're talking about when we're, you know, dealing with ghost stories? Is it just a substitute, a metaphor for what, what's happening in real life? That, you know, the beauty of great art is we, it can be interpreted in multiple ways. So I think your question is profound and that I think it can be looked at in both ways. There's the traditional ghost story, of course, that is about... Uh, you know, wraith-like creatures of the night and the windy moors and chains and bedsheets and all of the sort of <laughs> cliches and tropes of the genre. Um, but then there's also the deeper metaphorical representation of why we attract to ghost stories in the first place yeah. and how they're a window or a mirror to us, mm -hmm. how they sort of represent our societal fears, our cultural fears, our, our personal fears and longings. And so they represent two things. I think we go to them because I think people generally are drawn to the unknown uh, they're drawn to a scary story. But I think your question gets at the much deeper underpinnings of the best ghost stories, as is the same uh, with science fiction, are a representation not just of the beyond, but a representation of us in the present. Mm. Um, I don't read a lot of fiction. You know, I'm all about nonfiction. But I, I loved your collection, Dark Black. And you have, I think, a first in, in literary history. Uh -oh. You have a horror story written in the form of, like, a music journalism feature. <laughs> <laughs> 
reflects our lives in some way. That's sort of. Well, we we both read plenty of horrible music journalism, <laughs> both... but this is not what Sam. Tell us about that story before we let you go. I wrote that in the summer before the book came out. So that was one of the later stories I wrote in that collection. It's called Guided by Demons, which simply, obviously, is a play on the band Guided by Voices. Mm -hmm. And it's about a punk rock musician who writes an album with the ghost of a musical legend. You always hear that old sort of barroom game of... You know, what band in heaven would you think is the oh, best yeah, band? Yeah, yeah, Elvis yeah, on yeah, vocals, yeah, yeah. John Bonham on drums. Kurt Cobain <laughs> on right. the guitar, yeah. And I thought, well, what if a great artist or a fledgling artist had an mm -hmm. opportunity to pen an album with the ghost of Johnny Cash or the ghost of fill in the blank? And from there, I, I thought, you know, I wrote for alternative weeklies for many years is yeah. kind of, that's where I learned how to write. And I can get into that voice of sort of that feature magazine voice <laughs> yeah. very quickly yeah. because you write, you're on deadline all the right. time. And I thought, wow, what if I tried to play with narrative form here? And I didn't just write it as a linear first or third person uh, short story. Mm -hmm. I wrote it in the guise of a feature magazine mm. story. Mm. It's a story about a punk rock musician who writes an album with, with a ghost. Um, <laughs> so there's hope for us, Cot. Yeah. We may be able to write out of our niche someday. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, we have a few horror stories that we could we have hard, tell. We have a lot of horror We wouldn't have to reach that far I you have know, no into, doubt. into your imagination. Well, Dark Black is uh, Professor Sam's book, and I feel so much more educated now having you on, Sam. <laughs> Thanks for coming on Sound Opinions. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good picks from our friend Sam Weller. When we return, we will offer our final picks for songs about ghosts. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we are back. This week, it's been all songs about ghosts in time for Halloween. I have a couple more picks, Greg. I know you do as well. Robin Hitchcock. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering when we're going to get to him. Ghosts can be funny, you know, and Robin Hitchcock is wickedly funny. Uh, I remember seeing him perform this uh, song uh, originally when it came out, that tour that led to the live album, My Wife and My Dead Wife. <laughs> um, I guess it's not so funny, but it has that surrealist Dada is British mm. humor. You know, my wife uh, lies down in a chair. She peels a pear. I know she's there. She's making coffee for two, just me and you but comes back with coffee for three. <laughs> My wife is always here. My dead wife is always here, too. And uh, Robin doesn't seem that bummed out about it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's good to have company. Robin Hitchcock, My Wife and My Dead Wife. My wife lies down on a chair And stares into air I know she's there I'm making coffee for two but I come back in with coffee for three Coffee for three My dead wife sits in a chair Peeling a pear I know she's there she I love the conversation there with the ghost, uh, Greg when, when the ghost says, uh, 
You know I don't take sugar in my coffee. It's all about coffee. Coffee with the wife and the dead wife. You know, in no other circumstance would I be uh, laughing at a dead wife, but... Yeah, there is sort of a, you know, um, a dark comedy element to it. So yeah. a lot of his songs have that. It's a funny song. It's a funny... What else you got? I have a song by the Ravenettes, um, a Danish indie rock uh, duo uh, that has been going uh, for, for a couple decades now, and I, I love this band. It's a co-ed duo. They, 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 they say they were inspired by the Everly Brothers. Their harmonies were inspired by the Everly mm. Brothers, which sounds kind of, you know, what, really? And, and at the same time, they're combining this, this harmonizing vocal style uh, over, you know, electroshock guitars and these electronic elements underneath that. Uh, so you've got these driving, very dark songs uh, you know, topped by these vocals that were inspired by a 50s uh, rock and roll duo. It's an interesting combination that has led to some fascinating albums. I, I always have found them entrancing, and, and they're also their, their love of gothic elements in their music really coming to the fore in a 2011 album called Raven in the Grave. Uh, you know, you can't get, get more gothic than that <laughs> That's title. Pretty, like yeah, that. Raven's Graves. Yeah. yeah. The song I'm going to play, Apparitions, we, you know, we talked about this whole idea of ghosts. Uh, this is the first song I think we're going to play in our, in our set here where uh, they're, they're, they're talking about the effects of war on, on, a, on a person. Mm. You know, the, the idea that you've, you've killed somebody, maybe multiple people in, in a conflict, in a war, and you're haunted by these people you don't, that you don't even know. But you realize you've snuffed out their life, and mm. and they sort of take take that perspective in the song. Obviously, taking some artistic license here. I don't think either one of the members of the Ravenettes were actually in a war firing war. a gun yeah. at somebody, but I, I'm sure they've had experiences like that with friends or or you know just even reading the news, whatever. Um, so here's a, here's an example of uh, a soldier haunted by the lives he took. In, took in war. There's a part where the synths start to wash in that really gets me every time. Uh, we're going to play that little bit of the song for you as well. Here is the Ravenettes with Apparitions on Sound of Ravenettes. Ravenettes with apparitions on sound opinions. Jim, you've got another one for us, right? I do, Greg. Uh, I almost felt guilty about going to the Mekons Ghosts of America. No, I don't feel guilty. It's a well, great song. You know, we've played it on the show uh, several times in 16 years. <laughs> I, guess, yeah. I, guess, yeah. I don't know. You can go back and look for it in the in the archives. Uh, I remember once we did a live session with the Mekons, and I begged them. I said, hey, yeah. please. <laughs> you know, and I was thinking about this song. Uh, if I had to choose, and if you had to choose, this would be a, a great show to do at some point. Like, the five greatest songs of all time, in your opinion, right? <laughs> this is so far up there. Now, you are a bigger, bigger Mekons fan than me, but I just think this is a perfect song. A perfect, like, there's nothing I would change about it. Sally Tim's vocals are so ethereal. Uh, the idea that uh, the moon landing is staged in a back lot in Houston, the mm -hmm. way she says Houston, it kills me, <laughs> kills me, right? And Nixon sips a dry martini while he watches it. Why? 
it's a nice break from Vietnam, right? Opium mm-hmm. for the masses, distract the public. Now, I know the meat cons, John Langford and Sally, don't think the moon landing was staged, you know. Um, but but this notion of, of uh, wag the dog, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> distracting people uh, uh, from something horrible uh, with something else. Uh, and, and just the idea of, you know, there are many great, ghost songs about lost astronauts you know yeah major tom and and just space oddity floating yeah, right. in space and and just rocket uh, man yeah yeah never <laughs> never coming back you know yeah. the ultimate uh graveyard full of ghosts uh anyway a, a perfect song uh from uh, 1988's so good it hurts the mekons ghosts of american astronauts Ghosts of American Astronauts, the Mekons. That's a good show. Perfect songs. That's a perfect song. I would agree with you. I I love that song as well. And uh, I'm going to play a song in a similar kind of vein by a band that I love, Lady Tron. You know, I've been been sort of sticking with a lot of bands that come from an electronic uh, background. You know, Suicide, uh, Ravenettes, now Lady Tron. And I was thinking about it. Why, Why so many songs in this particular genre? I just think... Uh, electronic instrumentation lends itself to like otherworldly sounds. Hmm. Like it helps the backdrops, the haunted atmosphere. Uh, well, you know, you I know, mean, theremins up. lead to analog synthesizers. Those are the soundtrack of every science fiction horror yeah. movie. You know. It's but also, true. you just don't know. There's ghosts in those machines. You know, <laughs> I have three or four of them in the other room. You never, despite claiming you're a keyboard player, never play with my synthesizer. You know, you turn oh, it I, on. I thought it was off limits. I didn't realize I was able to just you, jump in there. You and can start. hop on my Moog anytime. You know, you turn it on, you turn a knob, you have no idea what you did, and all of a sudden there's the ghost of a giant elephant in the room. <laughs> I love those machines. <laughs> yes, speaking of the ghosts in the machine, uh, there's a ghost in me, go the lyrics here, who wants to say, I'm sorry, doesn't mean I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, kind of having it both ways. But the whole idea of living with regrets, we talked about, we talked about this with Sam Weller, how those regrets can be the ghost in you, can mm-hmm. be the ghost inside your head. And uh, this song definitely plays with that notion. Again, the electronics, the vocals, and, uh, and the lyrics all go together very well. Uh, the name of the song is simply Ghosts, and I think it uh, fits the subject matter very well. Lady Tron on Sound Opinions. That's Lady Tron with our 2008 song, Ghosts. Jim, you've got one more for us, right? I do have one more song, Greg. You know, uh, Professor Weller 
gave us a buried treasure pick of a song that is just coming out. And I've got one of those, too. I figure, you know, uh, there's always great new music coming out. I'm going to go to those under-heralded Chicago garage rock heroes, the Gold Stars. They put out a special Halloween single. Long-running band in Chicago, lots of lineup changes. People uh, come and go through the Gold Stars. Always a delightful garage rock party uh, revolving around Matt Sal Faveza. Mm. And uh, this new single, Stroll in Hell, he kept begging me, you know, give it a listen. Maybe it'll fit your Halloween show. And I said, well, are there any ghosts? And he said, well, the guy in the song is dead and he goes to hell. I was like, all right, that's a ghost, right? While he is in hell, he meets the whole cast of characters from the Universal Horror Pictures. Uh, Frankenstein, Frankenstein's Bride, The Mummy, Invisible Man, 50-Foot Woman. I, I think they were trying to do an update to The Monster Mash. Mm-hmm. The Monster Mash, of course, is a classic Halloween, right? But, you know, it's one of those songs... And there's so many of them at Christmas, too, that having heard it uh, several thousand times, I never need to hear it again. But the idea of this 50s sock hop dance party happening in hell with all the universal <laughs> monsters <laughs> is, uh, all right, this is good. This should be the new Monster Mash. This is Chicago's Gold Stars with Stroll in Hell. Uh-oh, yes, the big guy sent me down here. Roll in hell, Greg, with the ghosts and every other monster you can name from the Gold Stars. There's a pleasant sentiment. We're going to go deeper into the murk. Uh, last song, uh, I can't think of a better one than Black Sabbath's Black Sabbath. First song on their first self-titled album. Uh, basically a mission statement for the band, an entire genre of heavy mm-hmm. metal. Uh, and I think for this show, in a lot of ways. Uh, Geezer Butler. Uh, the bassist in the band, he was the guy haunted by, by ghosts. He was the guy who was seeing, had these visions. He was the guy who was saying, you know, we can turn these horror movie scenes that we are playing in our heads and that we're seeing in the, in the movie theaters and, and, and make rock songs about them. You know, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a revelation back then. When you combine that with those double-tracked Aussie vocals... And the, those Titanic riffs from Tony Iommi and the bells, the funeral the bells, bells ringing. Hell, yeah. uh, you have got six minutes of sheer terror, of which we're going to play <laughs> a, just a snippet of. See, I never thought of it as a ghost song until you chose it as one of you. But what is this that stands before me? Well, there's me? a vision standing yeah, there. there. You know? a, an apparition. It is a ghost. Yes. You, you know, it's the devil, but it's you know, it's also a vision that you know. Apparently, the story goes that Geezer woke up one night and saw this vision mm. at the foot of his bed and wrote a song about it. Yeah, and drugs would holy do that. mackerel! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a song! Uh, Black Sabbath with Black Sabbath on Sound Opinions. What is this that stands before me? Figure in black. 
Black Sabbath with the uh, Black Sabbath track. It really, the, the, the roadmap for everything they would do is right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That wraps up our conversation about ghost songs. As always, we want to hear from you. Do you have a favorite? Leave us a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. Mr. Cott, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have a conversation with Todd Haynes, the director of that new Velvet Underground documentary. And this week on our bonus podcast, we've got a conversation with the Go-Go's drummer Gina Schock about her new photography book. Everybody's loving that Velvet Underground documentary. We're going to give our thoughts. And who doesn't love Gina? Shock of the Go-Go's. For more sound opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find such things. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to sound opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. And speaking of sponsors, every week our show reaches hundreds of thousands of curious listeners from around the globe via podcast and on 150 public radio stations nationwide. If you'd like to learn more on how your business or organization can also reach this engaged and educated audience, you can email sponsor at soundopinions.org. That's sponsor at soundopinions.org. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Uh, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, and our intern, Mary Bernthal. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott. <laughs>